if you think about all the talk that there is about artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and so forth, medicine right now is still practiced by and large. You know, we have fancier scans and fancier tests and so forth, but it's human intelligence almost universally is how doctors make decisions. There's very little actual FDA approved and implemented artificial intelligence, machine learning in the practice of medicine today. Welcome to The Core, a podcast series brought to you by Core Vista Health, pioneering digital health to transform the way cardiovascular diseases are diagnosed. Please welcome today's host, Scott Berger, CoreVista's Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, as he explores how technology can make a difference in healthcare with Dr. Charles Bridges, CoreVista's Chief Scientific Officer. Today's episode will explore the topic of combining artificial intelligence, medical devices, and pharma, and how these three will impact the future of healthcare. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Charles Bridges, newly appointed Executive Vice President and Chief Scientific Officer at Corvista Health. Dr. Bridges was the first African-American full professor of surgery at the University of Pennsylvania, Chief of Cardiac Surgery at the Pennsylvania Hospital, and Professor and Chairman of the Department of Cardiothoracic and Vascular Surgery at Carolina's Healthcare System. Thank you, uh, Scott. I'm really uh, happy to be here. Obviously, we're so excited to have you part of uh, part of Corvista Health, and and we've worked closely with you at at Janssen as as we were working uh, on our technologies together. However, uh, what attracted you to join Corvista? Well, um, so many things, Scott. Corvista is just uh, kind of the tip of the sphere sphere in the evolution of healthcare as I see it, and um, you, you mentioned some important aspects of my background. Uh, but I think one thing that I've, uh, is, is relevant for me to Corvista is that um, I've had a background in it that merges technology and medicine, um, having uh, been educated in, in both engineering and medicine prior to uh, both practicing academic medicine and then spending six years or almost seven years now in industry, uh, both biotech and pharma. So um, I think that the combination of my background, my leadership experience, and the fact that Corvista is, is really working at this very exciting place in healthcare where we're really moving to the integration of machine learning and artificial intelligence, not in a theoretical way of helping doctors do what we do, but in a real way. Um, and, and I think Corvista will clearly be one of the leaders in that space. And that's just a very exciting place to be. Charles, that's, that's so interesting. Um, I, I know we share in common, we, we both spent some time at, at uh, Biosense Webster and, and the, the integration of mapping into card cardiovascular technologies that really whet my appetite to show where we could go with, with technologies in, in caring for, for patients. And just real interested if, if you felt the, the same way about that technology and what that did for patient care, and it kind of showed you the future of where things could go. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, there's so many at Johnson and Johnson, which, you know, is the world's largest healthcare company, and it is the second largest medical device company in the world. And I believe it's the third largest pharmaceutical company in the world and uh, perhaps the fastest growing. And the reason that's relevant is because I spent half my time at Johnson & Johnson on the medical device side, as you mentioned, Biosense Webster, which is our cardiovascular uh, group, and the other half on the pharma side. So part of my job there was to work across those silos. Uh, and and um, my title was uh, cross enterprise, head of cross enterprise innovation. I hate long titles, but, uh, but the idea was to try to see how we can connect what's happening on, on with medical devices and pharma. And, and in both cases, they come together in this whole realm of that people sometimes call digital medicine or, uh, there there's, it's fascinating how those traditionally siloed fields are, are really merging in, in very significant ways going forward. And Corvista again, is, uh, is really right at that intersection. And as you know, uh, Corvista had a partnership with, with Janssen pharmaceuticals, Corvista is a device company. Uh, and that's a perfect example of where not just traditional medical device, but essentially software as a medical device, digital technology innovation, that um, tech uh, and med tech are merging with pharma in very significant and interesting ways. You, you bring up a great point. And, and we talk about tech, medical and pharma all converging. But, but another thing that's converging into this is the rising costs of healthcare and the need to reduce these costs. The opportunity to lower the amount of money that's spent in healthcare by, by getting ahead of these disease states and diagnosing earlier is, is another thing that, that's happening. I mean, the, I was just reading something earlier how the cost of, of healthcare doubled from, from 1980 to 2018 per capita. And it just shows that we need to diagnose earlier so we can get a hold of these exponential rising costs within the healthcare system. Do you see that that as playing part of what what Janssen saw in in this opportunity was diagnosing these patients earlier, and and hopefully reducing the costs within the healthcare system? Yeah, you know, it's always I, uh, yes, that is part of it. It's always that balance between cost, which uh, you you want to lower costs, but you also want to improve outcomes. So, uh, in other words, if we can improve outcomes and it costs a little more. That might be acceptable in certain circumstances, um, or if we can reduce costs and keep outcomes unchanged, that's also acceptable. It's not generally acceptable to increase costs and, and have worse outcomes. That's usually not um, an acceptable outcome. So is lowering cost is important, but only if it maintains quality or ideally improves quality all at the same time. Incorporating technology and, and incorporating machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to diagnose patients at a much earlier disease state can only help not only the, the patient's quality of life, 
but it would also help to uh, not only improve quality of life, but, but hopefully reduce costs by, by getting ahead of the disease. Right. And, and even improves long-term survival, we believe. Um, for example, in the project that Corvista is doing with Janssen on pulmonary hypertension, pulmonary arterial hypertension is a subset of that general disorder of pulmonary hypertension that primarily affects women, and it primarily affects women in their late 30s, early 40s, early 50s. Uh, some would say in the prime of life, many would have young children at that particular time, uh, and there are few predisposing conditions. So it's really tragic disease where the average life expectancy is on the order of seven years or so. And for, so, so for women who are relatively young, it's a re very devastating, uh, more devastating than cancer in many cases. But what we've learned is that if you can diagnose that disease three years earlier, um, that it's likely that that life expectancy can be extended dramatically, maybe even doubled or tripled, uh, maybe even beginning to approach normal life expectancy. But if you're three years late making a diagnosis, then um, it, it's not, it's even with today's modern treatments, the outlook is the, the prognosis is, is not particularly good. So yeah, absolutely. Not only improve quality of life, but hopefully in, increase and improve the duration of life. And um, obviously, that would be very impactful. Yeah, most certainly. It, it's so interesting. Your your background is is so extensive. You you talked a lot about Janssen, and most recently, you were the chief technology officer and head of cross enterprise innovations at at Janssen. The opportunity to incorporate the tech side of things with, with your engineering background, it, it must be very exciting to be able to incorporate that. Tell me how, how you see that as really a sweet spot for you. Yeah, no, it, it's been a life, uh, really, frankly, a lifelong journey. I, uh, you know, I'm sure you know my, some of my story. I started at a very young age. I was the youngest student at Harvard Medical School. Uh, I was 18 going on 19 when I started, the youngest student in my class there. And as a result, I had the luxury, really, of pursuing kind of a dual education, both in medicine, um, and I also got uh, both a doctoral degree in chemical engineering and a master's degree in electrical engineering and computer science at MIT. I was part of this program at the time called the Harvard-MIT program. And the whole idea of that program, uh, which started in the early 70s, was to basically create a generation of people who had some a strong background in engineering or or technical fields uh sciences who also pursued medicine in one way or another both either as a practitioner or or as a medical scientist and it was really a visionary concept i think 50 years ago um and i was the beneficiary of that really and so i think it has helped me to do some of the things that i do now because I do have um, that sort of unique perspective of having, um, you know, when I was at MIT in engineering and electrical engineering, that was really when artificial intelligence was just getting off the ground. And, um, and here we are several, a few decades later, and, you know, we're on the verge of it now becoming something that's actually ready to go and being practiced every day 
in medicine. And so having that sort of dual background and dual education really has allowed me to see things at the intersection that, that often are difficult for others to see. I was uh, at the NIH, I was on what's called the Bioengineering, Technology and Surgical Sciences Studies section. And so we reviewed all the grants that came in and bioengineering and sort of the, which was also at the convergence, a lot of surgery uh, related work was reviewed there. And, and I was there for four years uh, as a regular member. And, you know, when you finish, they give you a nice little lunch and a little plaque um, and a thank you. Uh, and one of the, one of the comments they said was that often I was the only one in the room that could help synthesize what the engineers were trying to do with what the doctors and the surgeons were trying to do. And sometimes the surgeons were enthusiastic, but the engineers were saying that idea will never work. And then sometimes the engineers were really enthusiastic and the doctors are saying, yeah, but who cares? Um, you know, and, and so being able to sort of communicate a little bit with both sides every now and then turned out to be a valuable uh, skill set. And so I see that in, in other ways as well. In, 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 you know, in my job, my role at Janssen, the, the role here at Corvista, um, I see the same sort of thing happen often. When you were look back several decades ago, did, did you imagine we'd be where we're at now with technologies incorporating into medicine? I guess I hoped we'd be a little further than we are now. It's really taken longer than uh, I would have thought it would. Or if you think about all the talk that there is about artificial intelligence and, and machine learning and so forth, medicine right now is still practiced by and large. The, you know, we have fancier scans and fancier tests and so forth, but um, it's human intelligence almost universally is how doctors make decisions. There's very little actual, you know, so FDA approved and implemented artificial intelligence, machine learning in the practice of medicine today. And that's where I see Corvista being able to really move that needle significantly and get this to the point where it's FDA cleared. And as you know, that's not good enough. It's got to be FDA cleared. It's got to be highly effective and um, it's got to be adopted by physicians. And then you have to have somebody like you who's an expert in commercializing it, because even if the physicians like it and the FDA approves it, if nobody has it, then it's not going to do very much good. Um, and there's a lot of folks that are missing one or two key, key one of those components. And as a result, you know, they will have little impact, unfortunately, in the, in the short term. You know, eventually, maybe they will, but, but they have a fatal deficiency, in my view, that Corvista doesn't have. That's really great perspective. So tell me what you see in the next five or 10 years. Well, I, I think there's so many things that are happening on the device side. Gosh, uh, there's there's smarter devices, you know, because right now we, we put devices in people, whether it's an artificial hip or an artificial knee uh, or a heart valve or even a mechanical heart. And once we put it in, we have no way of assessing what, how well it's working. In contrast, um, 
you know, we're used to our car saying, hey, your tires are low. Hey, um, you know, your gas is low. Uh, uh, hey, the temperature's too high. Uh, there's a fault in the system somewhere and you need to get that checked out. We, whereas if you think 20, 30 years ago, cars weren't smart, right? I mean, you know, if your tire was low, God help you, hope you looked at your tires before you got into your car because, you know, you won't, you had no way of knowing um, those kinds of things. And and going forward, that's where we're seeing with devices where the artificial hip will, for example, be able to give information about function and information about infection and can be assessed so that when you go to the orthopedic surgeon's office, they can actually scan that device and get some data about how that how well it's working, those kinds of things. But again, these are just concepts. They haven't happened yet. We're working on these things. Robotic surgery, for example, uh, right now, robotics is really just a tool. It's not really robotic. It's, uh, it's just a tool that helps the doctor do an operation that the doctor was going to do. But going forward, um, incorporating image-based artificial intelligence into robotics and where the robot is not just a passive tool, but actually can help inform the doctor, you know, for example, uh, is this nodule malignant or not based on imaging characteristics of that nodule, uh, which then can affect surgical decision-making in real time so that you say, okay, well, we need to take that out because it looks like cancer based on image processing. Um, and those are some of the things that I think we'll see, uh, again, in, in artificial intelligence affecting the whole cross-section of things that we do, even on the pharma side. We've talked a little bit about diagnosis. We'll see, uh, we're, I mean, Cor- that's Corvista's sweet spot, is applying advanced mathematical techniques and signal processing uh, and data analytics and machine learning to help diagnose diseases that that uh, doctors otherwise could miss and hopefully find them earlier. Um, and then I'll mention one other thing is in, in, on the pharma side is what are called virtual clinical trials. So that instead of bringing the patient to the trial, the patient has to go to the center, bring the trial to the patient so that in the form of digital devices, uh, like the Apple Watch, for example, um, you'll be able to, for example, give your patient a drug for heart failure or a placebo, and there will be certain metrics that the Apple Watch, for example, uh, it doesn't have to be Apple, it could be any other manufacturer of a smart watch, basically, but then can measure heart rate, uh, exercise, sleep patterns, for example, um, and develop, and in some cases, oxygen saturation, and then develop surrogates that allow one to say, yes, this heart failure drug is effective based on these metrics that we can assess digitally. And so that cuts the cost of clinical trials dramatically, like a factor of 10, and speeds enrollment dramatically. And these are some of the things that we're starting to see happening on the pharma side. So the device side and the pharma side are seeing an infusion of, of these technologies being highly relevant to both sex, both sectors uh, going forward. Really, really interesting. And Charles, I hear you have some exciting news. 
well, yes, Scott, it was announced on February 10th of this year that I am now uh, a member of the National Academy of Engineering. I'm one of the 2022 incoming group uh, who have just been inducted into the the National Academy. Uh, there, there are three National Academies in the United States. There's the National Academy of Sciences, the National Academy of Medicine, and the National Academy of Engineering. Uh, and again, I will be, uh, I, I have been, and I am now a member of the National Academy of Engineering. The, um, the National Academies is, it is a, it's, a, it's a great honor to be a member uh, of either of the academies. Um, but, but it's more important, frankly, uh, the mission of the academies. And the, the academies are looked to, to provide guidance on matters that are pertinent to American medicine, uh, American science, and American engineering. And um, I've actually been working very closely with all three national academies for the last two years as a member of uh, something called the Round Table on Black Men and Black Women in Science, Engineering, uh, and Medicine. And that roundtable, um, and I actually am a co-chair of the kindergarten through graduate education group for that roundtable, is an example of the kind of thing that the National Academies is involved in, which is addressing issues that are pertinent to uh, American science or American engineering and American medicine. Uh, for example, the National Academy of Medicine had a significant role a number of years ago in pointing out the issue of racial disparities in healthcare and how, uh, regardless of how you look at that, those issues, race ended up being an important variable that determined the quality of care, even when you correct for socioeconomics, income, insurance, geography, educational level, you, you know, race, unfortunately, is still a very significant variable in how healthcare is practiced and how, uh, you know, what services people have access to. So that's an example of many, uh, the types of issues that the National Academies weigh in on and, and, and are looked to by government leaders, both nationally and internationally for, um, the Academy's insight on matters that are uh, relevant to, to those fields. Wow, that's very interesting. Such a huge honor. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It is um, because I've been able to be at that intersection between industry um, and academia is, um, is actually rare, even in the Academy. And that's one of the things that I think that I was told, one of the reasons why I was selected, I suppose, because, because I have that uh, unique combination of having the academic uh, experience as well as the industry-based experience. Right, right, yeah, it makes total sense. Hey, Charles, thanks so much for visiting the Corps today. Really loved having you on. And, and it was fascinating to learn about your background and, and how your interaction with both engineering science, technology, and medicine has really converged into the value that you're bringing to Corvista Health today. So thank you very much. Scott, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, thank you to Corvista uh, for giving me the opportunity uh, to work 
with you. Uh, it's an outstanding team and uh, we'll look forward to great things to come. To learn more or listen to more episodes of The Core, please visit us at corevista.com. Please note, The Core Vista system is an investigational device limited by federal law to investigational use and is not available for commercial distribution.